I, uh, last Friday night I had the chance to go to a Steve Green concert. Phenomenal, phenomenal concert. Not only because the guy's a good vocalist, but because he really focuses on worship. And he told a, a true but very interesting story. And that was... Is that just me reverberating? Never mind, the only one can hear that. Okay, anyway. He told a very interesting st- story of a missionary in Africa who... That's not just me. He told a very interesting story of a missionary in Africa who um, was witnessing on the streets and he had pocket New Testaments and he was handing out these pocket New Testaments and he came up to a guy and he says, I'd like for you to read this. This is the Word of God. And the guy said, looked it over and kind of saw the size of it and he said, well, that's a pretty interesting little book you got there. Um, I, you know, I, I won't read it. I don't believe in all this Christianity stuff, but, but uh, I'll be doggone if those pages aren't about the right size to roll a cigarette in. So I'll take it and I'll roll cigarettes in it. And the missionary said, well, that's your prerogative. He says, the only thing I ask of you is that if you take the Bible before you roll a cigarette with one of those pages, that you read what's on the page. And he said, okay. So the years went by, almost 18 years, I think, Steve Green said. And there was a missionaries conference, and they invited a lot of people from the surrounding towns to come and give testimonies to encourage uh, some of the missionaries who've been on the field for a long time. And this guy gets up to give a testimony, he says... A long time ago, this guy walked down the street and he was handing out pocket New Testaments. And he, he gave me uh, this green pocket New Testament. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to read it, you know, I'll, but I'll smoke it. And uh, <laughs> so he said, I, I smoked all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then I got to John 3.16 and he says, I read it and it so powerfully hit me. It transformed my life and I never smoked the rest of it. I got myself a new Bible and read it. The point being that God's word is so powerful that even the most cynical person is overwhelmed by the truth of God's word. So I'd like to invite you guys to join me this morning in looking at God's word. Just as a group of students, I'd like to focus on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 as a starting point this morning. It's the end of the year, and I kind of like to focus our thoughts for the last four weeks. Do you realize that? Four weeks from this last Saturday, I believe, graduation occurs. And that means a lot of you guys are going to be done sooner than that. So look in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 with me, if you would. In this passage, Paul is desiring to encourage Christians to run an effective race. That seems to be the clear point of the passage. Let's read it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. There's two principles in this verse. You can tell me. I don't have to get up here and tell you this, but the two principles are simply this. First of all, what? Verse 1. Lay aside sin. Lay aside every encumbrance Lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us. That's principle number one. Lay aside sin. And principle number two is very clear right at the beginning of verse two. Focus intensely on Jesus Christ. Focus intensely on Jesus Christ. Now those are are two very simple principles. But I think ones that have incredible application to us. Especially as we look uh, to running an effective race. Even here in the last four weeks that we may have. Lay aside sin. Focus on Christ. It's obvious from the text that this was given to us for the very purpose of encouraging us as believers. Because if you look, in the, as verse 2 continues, 
He's giving Christ as an example to us. Look, read with me if you would. Continue. He says, For who, speaking of Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, Paul, well, or whoever wrote the book of, of Hebrews is giving us an encouragement to, to run a race that is effective, to run a race that honors God. Paul's obviously using the analogy of uh, Greek athletics. And uh, Paul's being rather blunt here, so to speak. If you, if you look at what he meant by saying this, it's, it's maybe a little surprising, probably not proper to say in chapel, but the Greeks, when they ran, they ran without any encumbrances. I mean, that means they ran without anything on. And uh, the fact of the matter is that, that they really took this literally. I'm not suggesting you take this passage literally in any stretch of the imagination. But the principle is that you take everything off that would encumber you. It, everything that would cause you to stumble. Anything that would slow you down. Everything. That's the principle. And the second is that you focus. And I love to run. I'm, you know, I'm one of the few people that I know just loves to run for the sake of running. But I really do. I often go... Uh, back out this back road into this road well it says no trespassing I don't know how else to describe it but I asked the policeman one day he said it was okay <laughs> it's just for cars um, I run back there because I like I like to run with my shirt off and then I blinded somebody one day when I did that so <laughs> there's not too, too much human population back there and so uh, but the fact of the matter is I run all the way out and around and when you get to that place where the gate is and you go back on this little road there's no traffic and you run up and over a hill and then you get back and by the time you hit the, you've gone pack over the hill, you've got a straight shot that's about a half mile to the gate. And that straight shot is like the longest bit because you've gone for like already about a little short of two miles. And you're getting tired by this point, right? And, and it's just flat and it's straight and the sun beats down and it's hot. And you're looking at that and you're going, oh my goodness, can I make it, can I make it? And the principle is that if you just look down at every step, I mean, it all looks the same. It doesn't ever change. It's just one foot in front of the next, and it's not very encouraging. There's not much motivation to continue. But if you look at that gate straight ahead, it slowly but surely gets closer and closer and closer. And the principle here is that Christ is the one that we are to focus on. Because we run the Christian walk, we are to focus on Jesus Christ. He is to be right there in the foreground. Okay? Now, if we are to focus on Jesus Christ, what's the obvious corollary to that? The obvious corollary is that we don't need to focus on the distractions that are around us, right? We don't need to focus on those things that could so easily pull us to one side or the next. Sometimes it's just a glance that might cause us to not continue as forcefully forward. Sometimes it's such so forceful a distraction that we step off the path. But the principle is, run the race effectively. Lay aside sin. Focus on Christ. Don't look to distractions. Now... That having been said, I want to focus on three, possibly four, depending on the amount of time we have. We have a little extra time they gave me this morning. So three or four distractions that we may have as master's college students, okay? I'm tailoring this right to us. I'm talking to all of us right here, okay? Don't think it's me to you. This is all of us. The Word of God speaking to us this morning. Three distractions that we may have. I think at the root of every distraction lays a sin that can easily encumber us. Sometimes it's just a distraction. Sometimes there's a sin at the base of that distraction that can make it a sin issue. Look at the first one. The first one I would identify is this. Busyness. Busyness. Let me define what I mean by busyness because a lot of things can be meant by that. I define it this way. Doing so much for the Lord that you can't do it all well. Or that you're constantly overwhelmed. 
doing so much for the Lord that you can't do it all well or that you're constantly overwhelmed. Um, now, let me give a little disclaimer. Don't get me wrong. We are to work hard for the Lord. Proverbs 6 gives the analogy of the ant. Verses 6 to 8 says, O sluggard, observe the ant, okay, who in the winter or in the time of harvest gathers in without any boss, without anybody to tell him what to do. That's very clear. Paul it says two times in the New Testament, don't grow weary in well-doing, right? The fact of the matter is that as Christians, we are to work hard. If you don't sweat some, a little bit of perspiration in your work for the Lord, then something's a little bit wrong. You, ha- you are not pleasing the Lord. When you run, or, you know, if you go out and exercise, the next day you should be a little bit sore, right? If you're a little bit sore, you probably haven't pushed yourself good enough to be in good shape. The, princ- the fact of the matter is that we should work hard for the Lord. That's uncontested. But I would suggest something to you. I would suggest that there's a big difference between working hard for the Lord and being too busy for the Lord. I'd say there's a huge difference. Busyness is dangerous. Why? Because you can convince yourself that you're, you're spiritual. Is that not true? You can convince yourself and others. Wow, man, I am godly. If I am doing wow staff and I'm an RA and I'm on ASB and I'm giving 10 hours at my church and I'm going home every weekend to evangelize my family and so forth and so on, you can really convince yourself that you're spiritual. See, that's just, that's just not true. God wants us to be working hard for Him. He wants us to give... Wherever we are, He wants us to give everything we've got to that. But God doesn't want us to be so busy that we can't do what we do well. Or that we are constantly in the state of being overwhelmed. Well, that's a distraction. Busyness is a distraction from the Lord. What would be the sin? What would be the sin that lies at the root of that? Just in my thinking, and there are many, but it seems to be the sin of arrogance. The sin of arrogance. Saying, you know, I'm indispensable to God. Lord, you need me. That seems to be the attitude that pervades this busyness that we seem to, to, to keep ourselves involved in. Lord, you need me. Somehow, if I'm not here, if I don't do this, it's not going to be as effective or it's not going to happen the way it needs to happen. I, I got beat up over this truth last Friday. You know, we had an ASB chapel, speaker canceled, we had to plan it within three days. I worked really hard to get, it, to get something ready and to get everybody up on stage. And I'm sitting here and it's my turn to get up and I got six minutes. And I'm going, that's not fair. You know, I mean, I'm getting, I'm just sitting there, I'm just angry. You know, I'm just like, I'm frustrated. I mean, I'm just sitting there, and just, oh, come on, this is not right. You know, and the Lord just had to beat me up and say, you know what, David, God doesn't need you up on the stage. He said everything he needed to say through whoever was up there. I mean, why worry about it? You see, it's that attitude of, God needs me. It's just not true. It's just not true. And, and secondly, I think arrogance comes into the picture um, by, well, let me say this. Usually, this, um, this in, attitude of indispensability leads to a dryness um, that's caused by not taking time to simply admire God. Usually, when you become so busy about all these things, you don't just stop to, to, to hunger after God. Usually, the spiritual dryness develops. It, it happens nine times out of ten. Um, and I talked about that last Friday when I read Psalm 46 to you. It said, you know, cease striving and know that I am God. It's very clear that that is a command of God, that we are to stand in His presence and simply admire Him. Well, scripturally, nothing could be more opposite from the truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, uh, let me just read it to you. Kevin Hearn elaborated on this passage a few weeks ago, but it's, it's, it's very simple that God doesn't need us. In fact, 
this scripture passage tells us this. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, that's God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in who? The Lord, right? The principle here found clearly in 1 Corinthians is that God didn't choose us for who we are. God chose us for who we're not. I mean, that'll blow your socks off. God chose us for who we're not. You know, God looks at you and goes, he can't accomplish what I want him to accomplish. Therefore, I am going to call him out. And therefore, when he serves me, people are going to look at him and go, only the Lord Jesus Christ could do that in his life. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't need us. Therefore, why do we busy ourselves with this attitude of God needs me to do this and God needs me to do everything? Because if I don't, nobody else will. Don't fall into that trap. By way of application, think of your schedule, even over these next few weeks. What does it look like? Now, I, I'll grant you this time of the year, there's certain things that just can't go. You've made certain commitments, don't, don't you know, bail now. But even as you think of next year and you're filling out class schedules for next year and the commitments that you're going to make at church and the commitments you're going to make in, 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 in academics and to, to your job, think carefully through this. God doesn't call us to be so busy that we're always overwhelmed. That doesn't necessarily please Him. God calls us to work hard at what He's given us to do. Well, a second area. <laughs> second distraction. And I hesitate to even touch this one, especially in front of the whole chapel. But uh, that's the distraction of relationships. I mean, you may say, well, what do you know about that? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, no, I'm not talking about how to make a relationship work. I'm talking about the distraction of, of, of wanting one. And I've been at RA long enough, I've been on this campus long enough to have had enough guys sit on the bed across from me in the room and just go, Boss, there's this girl and I'm, oh man. It happens. Believe it or not, it, it happens. Um, I mean, we've, we've all got these little things, you know, these chemicals running around in our body that causes this phenomenon. And, and, and I don't understand it any better than you do, but the fact of the matter is that that it can be a distraction, okay? Um, it, it, just, it just can be. And what would be the sin that would lie at the base of this distraction? Now, I think it would be lack of contentedness. Lack of contentedness with what God's given you. Um, there's nothing wrong with, that, with the desire to, to enjoy a, a relationship with someone of the opposite gender. Nothing wrong at all. In fact, God created man and woman. He, he ordained marriage as an honorable institution. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing inherently sinful. The sin comes in when you want to make things happen in your timing, when you're not content with what the Lord's given you, when you're forcing something to happen. Um, I, Gene Ballinger, I used to work in Rutherford. I worked in Rutherford for two years. Gene Ballinger's our switchboard operator. Most of you probably know her. We, we have these little 10-minute conversations, you know, with this, the phone always rings in the middle of it, so it's kind of a disjointed conversation. But we have these 10-minute conversations every two, two, three times a week, and Oh, sometime a while back, uh, there's some girl I was interested in, I don't know, but uh, 
I, I use the word pursue, and uh, Jean goes, pursue? Pursue her? What are you talking about, David? She said, no, 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 you don't pursue anybody. She says, you pursue God. She says, she says it works this way. She even you know, made a diagram for me. She says, you, you, you like pursue God, and, and you're, looking, you're looking straight up, and then she's pursuing God, and somewhere along the line you notice each other pursuing God, and, and you hook up in your pursuit of God. And I said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. That, 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 that's, that's a good principle to follow. And it follows right along with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that we are to focus on Jesus Christ, right? Focus on Jesus Christ. Lay aside every encumbrance. The Apostle Paul, I'm fairly confident uh, that he wasn't struggling with the issue of relationships in Philippians 4, but, but turn to Philippians 4, and I think the principle is, 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 is very applicable. Philippians is before Colossians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul's talking about monetary situations here, but it's the same deal. It's the same deal. Have you learned? It's not something that comes naturally. Even the Apostle Paul had to work at it, and that's saying something. But have you learned to be content with whatever the Lord gives you? Have you learned to, to, to just say, okay, God, your timing. Okay, God, whatever it is, I'm, I'm just going to be faithful to what you've called me to do. I'm going to pursue you, and I'm not going to let these other distractions get in the way. Uh, well, Think through that. Think through that carefully because, you know, today is the last day to buy spring banquet tickets. So, <laughs> And we need you to buy more tickets because we still have lots of space and I'm on ASP. So even if that means disregarding spiritual application, go ahead and buy them. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Okay. <laughs> A third um, distraction. We'll go ahead and go with four since we got a little time here. I think a third distraction in our race and focus on Jesus Christ is comparing ourselves to others. In other words, determining our level of spirituality by the standard of other people. Um, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 15. A familiar verse, but maybe you haven't thought of it in this regard. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. says this, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Who is the standard of holiness? God and God alone. Sounds like a Steve Green song. The, the fact of the matter is that we are to compare ourselves to God and only God. We are not to look to others and say, Oh, I'm almost as good as him, but not quite as good as, as, as her, but I'm okay and content to be in the middle. Or let's make this a little more applicable directly to our campus. Oh, I'm not an RA, and I'm not on WOW staff, but I'm not a jerk like him. 
You know, and we, we tend to rate ourselves in comparison to other people. Instead of looking at God and saying, you know what, God, I want to be like you. And I'm not going to compare myself to so-and-so and who he is because you've created him uniquely. I'm not going to compare myself to her and who she is because you've given her a unique mission on this earth. But I'm going to compare myself to you and the principles that you have given me in your word. How often do we, we judge ourselves? And, and, and so often we, we look at ourselves and go, oh, I'm okay. I'm all right. I don't need to, to, to go up any further because I'm not in leadership. I, I don't need to, to step up the ladder. No. God calls us all to be perfect and holy even as he is holy. And, of course, we'll never attain that in this life completely. But we are to pursue it. We are to pursue it on a practical level, desiring holiness. Don't fall into the sin of comparing yourself to people. Compare yourself to God and strive after holiness because God is holy. One last area. I think this is huge uh, just because of the time of year. But if I could identify a distraction that I think plagues virtually every senior and certainly most of us who don't, may not know uh, our summer plans or who may know our summer plans and dread them is the future. Uh, the future can be incredible distraction. Um, what would the sin be that underlies that? Worry, right? Worry. The lack of trust in God. Let me turn you to a familiar passage. You know where I'm going. It's Matthew 6. This passage can convict you just reading it. I mean... Phenomenal truth here. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, these are the words of Jesus Christ, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are, they, are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Did you hear that? The heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. What does the earlier say in the passage? He will give you everything. He will clothe you more beautifully than the lilies of the field. Verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Are we seeing a common motif here? Yep. Sounds sort of like Hebrews 12, doesn't it? Focus on Jesus Christ. Don't allow these distractions to pull you away. Don't fall into sin that can encumber you. Focus on Jesus Christ. 
Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these minor details, <laughs> like housing and food to eat and a job, all these minor details will be added unto you. And they really are minor in the scheme of things, folks. I mean, I think if we were to sit here for a moment and contemplate a time where we went without food, we'd be hard-pressed, wouldn't we? I think most of us in this room, most of us, would be hard-pressed to remember a time in which we just didn't have enough food to eat that we starved. I think we'd be hard-pressed to think of a time in which we didn't know if we were going to have clothes to wear. We may have wanted different clothes to wear. We may have wanted nicer clothes to wear. But I think we'd be hard-pressed to think of a time when God didn't provide that. I think most of us would, would have a lot of difficulty finding a time in our life when we didn't have a house over our head. fact of the matter is, we may want things different. We may want more. We may want things done differently. But God always, always provides. And that doesn't change just because May 4th is graduation or just because you're getting kicked out of the dorm and you've got to earn money for school next semester. That doesn't change God's nature. He is eternal. Well, how do you match up? Are you depending on the Lord? <laughs> I, uh, I had a friend last year who was graduating. She uh, graduated last year. I used to be so frustrated with her because always, she was always like, Oh, David, I don't know what I'm going to do. David, I'm worried. I don't know if I should go back home or stay down here and get a job or get an apartment with a group of friends. Or She's just always talking about this. And I used to go, come on, just just decide. You know, just do it. And, uh, you know, now that I'm a senior, I, I understand where she was at. I mean, it's a little bit harder when you're facing reality. Um, but, you know, even last semester when I preached on trusting God, it was I stood up here in front of you guys without any hypocrisy in my heart and preached that sermon. But... You know, I got my notes back out and got really convicted recently because, you know, the fact of the matter is when you're facing the unknown, it, it changes your perspective. It makes it so much harder to trust the Lord. But that's the time when God's got you in the palm of his hand. And, and he goes, all right, now's the test. Are you really going to trust me? <laughs> Are you really going to bow down before me and call me Lord? Are you really going to turn over all those worries? There's some distractions that face us even as we continue in our race of the Christian life and as we look to the short-term goal of the end of the school year. <laughs> Busyness. Be able to remember these? I just told you. Relationships. The future. Comparing yourself to others. Don't, don't let it distract you. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. Well, bow your heads with me, if you would. So I'm going to take a couple minutes. Just a couple minutes. And ask the Spirit of God to move in your heart in such a way that He would bring to your attention areas, area or areas of your life that you need to make right with God. Don't dare walk out this door this morning, put your Bible in your backpack, and forget about the principles from God's Word that we've heard this morning. Make application. Purpose in your heart what you're going to do right now. Go ahead, take a couple minutes, just you know. What area do you need to put the horse down? What is it? What, what aspect of your life? Ask the Spirit of God to, 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 to open your eyes to that. Allow the Word of God to convict. Father, you're a good God. And oh, how we long to be in your presence. 
Father, how we long to stand before your throne and bow in humble submission, our bodies transformed, conformed to you. Father, one day there will be no sin in our hearts, nothing that hinders intimate fellowship with you. Oh, Father, how we long for that day. We pray that it would come quickly. Father, we pray that you would come even today, if that be your will. Father, that you would return and call us home to be with you. And yet we know, from the writer of Hebrews, that as long as you have left us on this earth, you have given us a race to run. And that we are to run that without sin encumbering us and without distractions, intensely focused on you. Oh, God, help us to do that. Help us to do that in a way that would please you. Father, help us to turn over those areas of life. As we were reminded in chapel just a few weeks ago, when we trade with you, we never trade down. When we give something over to you, Father, it's always for our better. life more. We're always going to be able to please you more. We never can lose with you. Father, we pray that even as Hebrews also says that you would discipline us when we when we stray. God, keep us in line. As we look at a very hectic time in our lives, Lord, as students here at the college, and we look at, at four weeks that can easily be the busiest four weeks of the year, partially because of circumstances under control, but also because of circumstances beyond our control. Father, we ask for your grace. Father, whatever comes our way, whatever decision, whatever circumstance, whatever tragedy, whatever glorious victory, God, may we praise you. And may we stand just in your presence, even as we can here on this earth, and and look at you and, and say, Father, we just love you. And we want to praise you no matter what. God, I pray for all of us that we may not lose focus, that even in the midst of so much to do, that you would convict us to remain strong in your word, that you would would convict us to remain strong in prayer before you. And Father, if there's anyone, anyone in this school that is even contemplating leaving this year without bowing the knee before you and contemplating what it means to, to surrender their life to you and accept the free gift of salvation, Father, I pray that they would do that in these last four weeks. Father, it's so easy for sin to come to the surface when the pressure and the heat's turned on. Give us the grace to encourage others and to ourselves remain pure. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.